0: Thanks for tuning in to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic, where we inspire, educate, and provide advice and insights around those who are in the sports business and entertainment industry. Please follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, get your 15% off Suja at SujaOrganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Sujo Organic. Excited for today's episode with our guest, Jamie Davis, President and CEO of USA Volleyball. Excited to get into his journey along the way of of getting to that seat, along with uh, everything USA Volleyball, the sport itself, uh, the growing nature of it. And uh, Jamie, excited for the conversation. Let's get into it. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you started off, uh, one would look at your your career path and go like, how did you get to where you are? You started off in finance and accounting, then you got into media and TV, e-commerce business with Fanatics, and now National Governing Body and volleyball. Did you play volleyball growing up?
1: Not at all. In fact, when they reached out to me to see if I was interested in being the president and CEO of USA Volleyball, I said to them, I have to be perfectly honest with you. I know nothing about volleyball. I've been in sports most of my career, but I know nothing about volleyball. And they said, "Well, we're actually looking for someone who doesn't, who's not from within the volleyball world. We're looking to someone who might come in with a fresh perspective and different eyes, but has your background in the fi-. you mentioned. I have a finance and um, back, finance and marketing background, but also most of my career has been within sports. And I said, "You seriously want somebody who knows nothing about volleyball?" And they said, "Yes." I go, "I'm uniquely qualified. Nobody knows less than I do." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So
0: as a novice in the sport, what have you what have you learned about the landscape as a whole? Uh, and we'll, we'll get into it? I mean, but there's so many different variations between beach to indoor to men's to women's, uh, combined uh, you know, the high school landscape compared to college compared to the competitive landscape, you know at the Olympic level. Um, talk to us a little bit about what is the landscape of volleyball look like across the country and, and then even globally a little bit.
1: So volleyball is a really healthy sport right now, and it's the fastest growing boys sport in high school uh, and college on that side. But on the women's side, few people actually know that we are actually the largest team participatory sport in high school and in college for women. So more women play volleyball in high school and college, than play soccer, than play basketball, than play softball, the things that people believe as well. And so that's sort of like our business is kind of complex because it starts at the grassroots level with the youth. And then as you mentioned, we go all the way up to the Olympians and the Paralympians as well. So focusing at the grassroots level, we have about 480,000 members that come on in every single year and it's been growing every year. And in fact, this year, we've already, our membership season is September 1 to August 31. And we've already surpassed our final number of August 31 in 2022, which was higher than we were even pre-COVID. So we're going to have a record year this year in, in growth as well. So that's booming. And so what happens is, and you talked about indoor and beach, we host many, we host many tournaments around the country all season long, which culminate and lead up into our national championships, which are taking place on the indoor side this week, actually later this week in Chicago for the girls next week for the boys in Salt Lake City. And, and that's that along the way, we start identifying through our scouts, looking for those kids who might be at the top, the top echelon of talent. And we start identifying them for what we call our national team development program. And that's where we start looking for the kids who stand out from the crowd a little bit. And we start inviting them over to training camps within our national team development program and start developing, doing exactly what it says. We start developing them and having them play. When they get to be 16 years old, that's when we start putting them, uh, the top, top kids on teams that so they actually get to wear a USA across their chest for the first time ever and play in the international competitions in the age group competitions as well to represent Team USA. So that goes up there. Then as it gets more and more, (laughs) more and more competitive is till you get to the very peak is when you get to the Olympians and the Paralympians. And at that level, that's when we identify for the men's and women's for indoor, the 12 best players that will represent Team USA should we Should we qualify? It's not an automatic qualification to the Olympic Games. Only 12 countries in the men's and women's indoor qualify. So it's not an easy thing to do. Right now, our women are ranked number one in the world. Our men are ranked number two in the world. So playing really, really good volleyball right now in the 2023, which is the Olympic qualification year. So we're excited about that. But the qualifiers don't take place for the women until the end of September and the men until the beginning of October. So we got to keep our game up and keep playing well. On the beach side, it's a little bit different. We have all that youth things with the national championships, as I mentioned as well. The beach national championships, they take place in July. And then, again, we have a national team development program starting to identify the, the, the best of the best within that on the beach side. Same sort of thing as they can play in underage tournaments representing Team USA as they get a little bit older. And unlike the other one, we don't pick the teams that go there uh, to qualify. It's done on based on their them. It's two people playing. So them and their partner, when they play, they play international competitions with, against the best teams in the world, and they earn what's called Olympic ranking points. And then if you're in the top 24 teams in the world, in your Olympic ranking points, uh, we get where uh, you qualify for the games with a cap of two teams per country per gender. So that's sort of how that works. But things are really ticking for us. The last Olympic games, we won three gold medals or two gold medals at the Olympics and one uh, gold medal at the Paralympic games, which was uh, really exciting. Our women won in both indoor and beach, and our women won in in uh, sitting, which is our Paralympic sport. No country had ever done that as well, had the sweep. So that was kind of fun and exciting for us as well. Fonzo
0: momentum behind the sport. And as you mentioned, participation being kind of the grassroots funnel of all of it. When you think about the different opportunities in the landscape that exist within the sport, aside from just coaching, right, or, or, or running a program, like, what are, the, what are the opportunities that exist for people if, if they said, oh, well, I played volleyball in high school, but I never knew that that's actually a career path. Like, how do I get into it? What what are the the different um avenues within the space that you
1: could get into uh with you know within the sport well so l- let's break this into like the business side of it or running the national governing body and the operation side of just so if you wanted to be a coach for you mentioned coaching if you wanted to be a coach and you played it and you just have a love for the sport there's like five thousand clubs around the country in addition to high school and college and things like that as well where you could do that you could become a club director if you have more of a business sense to you Officiating is another area. We have many people who go into being refing and officiating the, the matches as well. So those are the kind of things. And then just the operations on site of tournaments as well. Those are all kind of career paths that could take place there as well. If you wanted to be even more wed to us, if you will, and actually work for USA Volleyball, we are a business. So we, we have a lot of the standard things that you would expect to have we have a legal department we have a finance department we have hr we have a a large marketing department because we have to get the word out on all the things that are happening from the olympic and paralympic results international competitions all the way down to all those grassroots tournaments and events as well we have 40 regions that are within usa volleyball that we need to promote there as well but then we have a whole coaching education department so we believe to grow the sport were to be the best you're going to do better if you have high quality coaches so one could be just a mom or a dad who happened to have played and said oh my eight-year-old daughter is going to play i'll just coach the team right but then we have a special program where we provide coaching skills and lessons and everything else to those people so you love the sport you played it but you maybe never ever coached it now we can actually give you a toolkit to help you be even a better coach than you could have been same with officials training as well because you might say I do it but i don't know all the rules we have to teach you how to do that you know things like that as well then there's that whole as i mentioned that national team development program that's a big part of our of our business and that's made up of not just the coaches as well but the administrators the course developers the program developers and all that stuff as well and then of course there's the national teams and that's the coaching staffs there's uh there's uh health and nutrition there's dietitians there's strength and conditioning there's sports psychology All those types of things that happen at the top, top levels. So it's really a broad range of opportunities that are out there for people who love it. I would say that probably 70% of our staff played volleyball in either high school or college, at least. So it's people who do love the sport and have now found a way to make a career out of uh, working in the sport that they love.
0: And when we started this episode, you you mentioned you you took the role... Not knowing anything about the sport, not having played it, and one, you know, as 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 you're getting into the industry or you're even evolving uh, through an early career path, one one will say, "Well, follow your passion, right? Follow follow the things that you love, right?" And and people usually point to a specific sport, and then you go, "Well, no, don't necessarily go work for the sport that you love because uh, there's there's a different perspective, right? Or they have a or they say the other way around, like. Go be in and around it. You're obsessed with it, right? You lit, It's a lifestyle. So there's two different perspectives on it. But as someone who came in from the outside, not having any knowledge of the sport, wh- what's your perspective on that as a whole?
1: I think a good organization has a mix of both, to be perfectly honest. I think you need those people who have the volleyball IQ, is which I called it, because I said I had a volleyball IQ of zero. So <laughs> you need people who have the volleyball IQ within there. Certainly also depends on the role. If you're in our IT department and working on our computers, it really doesn't matter if how much you know about volleyball or not. If you're part of our national team development program, I think the, a good, strong knowledge of volleyball is very important. In fact, I think everyone in that department played volleyball, at least at the collegiate level. So to give you an example there. But the reason I say I think it's good to have a mix is because you get the people who know volleyball and have that volleyball IQ, and then you get the people like me who might come in and just ask the questions because we don't know and i encourage that kind of a, a, an environment within the organization is there's no question that's too stupid to ask and so therefore you know feel free and you bring in outsiders they're going to ask more questions because they just don't know others might say well this is how i've always seen it done so this is how we should keep doing it but that's where i think organizations evolve is when you get people who said have you tried it this way and or why do we do it this way? And I remember when I started, I, I, as I said, it started at the beginning of this podcast and I told it to my staff on day one, I said, I'm going to come in and ask a lot of really dumb questions. I said, because I don't know the sport. I said, and when I asked, you know, why do we do something this way? Or why do we do something that way? And if the only answer we can come up with is, that's how we've always done it. We may not continue doing it that way. There may be very valid reasons why. We may, but we may not. If that's the only reason that we can come up with is, that we do that because we've always done it that way versus trying to challenge ourselves. And so we've done that. And I think we've become a better organization over the six and a half years that I've been here just by trying to do things a little bit differently, maybe based on dumb questions that I asked to be perfectly honest.
0: No, I love that perspective because I think when you ask those questions, it's not because it's been done poorly, right? It's just simply out of curiosity. You don't know what you don't know. And I think laying the ground level like you did, of the preface right hey i'm going to ask this because as opposed to people getting offended of you asking those questions right and i think that's an important caveat to understand is like here here's how you approach it uh, is, that, is that
1: fair to say absolutely a, a question does not meaning does not necessarily mean it's a criticism or a question does not necessarily mean that it's a challenge it's a genuine curiosity of why do we do it this way or why is something done you know a certain style or whatever else and it's only cuz i don't know and so a lot i would say that probably i don't know 80% of the time i was given an answer and i said that's exactly why we do it that way cuz that makes total sense you know so it, it's not meant to be a criticism but it's meant to be truly just a understanding of how it's done and then you process it and you think hmm i wonder if there are different ways to do it or not you know and sometimes you experiment a little bit you'll say okay we've been doing this this way for you know, 30 years. Let's try with a small group this other way and see how it does. Does it do better? Does it do worse? If it does better, we can migrate over. If not, I'll give you a, I'll give you, I'll give you a good example. We used to use physical wristbands for, like the uh, Lance Armstrong, Live Lufthrong, the rubber bands for um, all of our events for spectators to come in. And we have 40,000 spectators that come in over a weekend to watch all the kids play in the Junior National Championships and things like that as well. Well, what would happen was the people would, the parents would come in, they'd take them all off, put them in a pocket, go back out, hand them to another group of parents and keep coming in, right? And, you know, I started saying, well, we have a clear problem that people are stealing from us, right? Where this is going on. And I said, can we either go to the paper wristbands that you can't take off or another way? And they said, well, the pa- the parents, we used to do paper and the parents didn't like them. They found them less comfortable whatever else like that as well and but i said you do see that we have this issue here where what's going on i mean i had actually a parent do it in front of my face not knowing i worked for usa volleyball so i saw it happen firsthand so we found a company called ticket spice that does a qr code based where it, you show your id to I me. Mean, everyone shows your id and your card so it's, it's actually bought individually for jamie davis and i come in the first time it's there my my photo is loaded in it i never have to show an id again but i just go there with the qr code and go in and literally our 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 theft went to like zero, and it was smooth. And it was like, so we did something a different way, because we identified something and didn't just do it the way we always had. That's just kind of an example.
0: And technology can definitely help with that. But it's not the only answer either. Right. And so I think um, technology can can make some of these things seamless. And and the transition may be a little bit more abrupt, right? Because everybody's there's always a, a new technology that everybody's like, "Wait, well, why do I have to do this?" or how, you know, it doesn't work or they, you know, there, there's always uh, obstacles to that or friction, but uh definitely can be a big part of it. If you think back to your roles though, you know, within the media landscape uh, at Fanatics, you know, what were some of the things that you learned leading big companies like that? that you've been able to transition into an NGB, but just generally speaking, like for any leader who's listening to this going, what are some of the big, biggest takeaways, biggest lessons you learned being at that seat at different
1: organizations? Yeah, so I worked at, as you mentioned, I was the president at Fanatics for several years. In addition to that, I did work in the media industry for a long time, all in sport, ver- almost all in sports, some in the entertainment side, but mostly all in sports. And actually had 12 years living overseas in, as well and living in Asia, in Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Singapore, in all of those roles, it was those were all for profit companies. So I worked for Disney, I worked for NBC, I worked for Comcast, I worked for Fanatics, as you mentioned. And what I learned there was, because they're from the for profit world was to run a business like a business. Now, the difference is, and that's how we run USA Volleyball. The difference is, we are a nonprofit. And that's a great thing. And said, so people, but we still have priorities. We still have priorities to try and generate as much revenue as we can, and try to be as prudent and or efficient with our expenses as we can, as well as you would in a for-profit business. I've had some people say, "Well, why don't we just break even? It doesn't matter. We're nonprofit." And I said to them, "Because the more we actually make there, is the more that we can reinvest into this sport. We have no shareholders. It doesn't go into one person's pocket. It goes back into the sport." And that's how we're able to do new and innovative things within the sport and grow the sport to enhance those education platforms that we talked about with the coaches and the officials to be able to invest more in uh, the events that we put on. For example, we decided this year, our girls 18 year olds national championships takes place at the uh, first week in April. It was in Salt Lake City. And the great thing is for the girls, we used to have it in June, we moved it because the girls They've graduated high school and frankly, they're done with club. They're just ready to go on to college or have their final summer with their high school friends before they go. So they really are kind of done. So we moved it earlier. That was the first pivot we did was to move it earlier because that's when the girls wanted. Now we clashed a little bit with prom season. So for this year, we invested $20,000 in putting on a prom for the girls now there were no dates <laughs> but they all got dressed up in in prom dresses and all that and we had a you know we had a dj and we had food and everything else and they had a great time and that's the kind of thing you can do if you are running it like a business so that you have it if you do everything at a break even and you want to do something special for for our participants and our athletes you don't have the wherewithal to be able to do it and so little things like that and and those are and they add up as well right and so uh things like that as well in addition the more we've talked, we've talked a lot about grassroots, but at the Olympic and Paralympic level, those are big cost centers for us. So if we win gold medals in our international competitions, almost all that money goes to our athletes anyway. So even at the end of winning a gold medal, it's a cost to USA volleyball. So instead of us, what I try to do is get as much possible, that I can invest into those programs to enhance our ability to try and have competitive excellence and win gold medals there as well. The more limited we are there, say with training facilities, say with coaching staff, say with things like that as well, the odds of us doing as well are lower, right? And so that's one of the things that we're trying to do as well. And I would say that background that I had from working at Fanatics, from working at ESPN, from working at NBC, et cetera, and also my finance background as well. I have an MBA and things like that as well, I think is what has helped uh, me be able to generate the results, me and my team, that is, be able to generate the results that have allowed us to invest back in our sport. And
0: from a sport perspective, you're talking about the gold medals, like the visibility is also what can exponentially help those grassroots efforts that you're already focusing so much on is, hey, you see team win, you know, the gold medal, you see this person uh, come, you know, from a grassroots, you know, competition, they've got a cool story, right? Like whatever, whatever it is, showcasing the personalities uh, to then help, other girls who are and or guys who are seeing them play at that level go I could do that too right and and you start to to spur the momentum um, but talk a little bit about with your media background and with the competition of other sports and other uh, landscapes and trying to get more visibility to the sport from a media perspective how do you go about that um, you, you know you see so many different avenues of trying to consume sports nowadays with the different streaming platforms and, um, you know, Peacock to ESPN to, uh, to all the others, right? How do you go about it from a larger sport perspective?
1: So at the, at the highest levels, for example, those are streamed or handled by our international federation, our IF, it's called FIVB, Federation Internationale de Volleyball and those are streamed on they have a, a volleyball world tv platform and everything else like that as well when it gets to the ncaa level those volleyball is one of the largest women's sport, women's sports broadcast it's all over espn it's on many of the, the big 10 network pac-12 network and many things like that as well so it gets quite a bit exposure you know on those platforms as well where we've concentrated very heavily is on social media because our average age of our participants of our membership is in that range of say 10 years old to 17 18 years old that's where the bulk of our members come in and where do they live they live in here right that's where they live and so what we try to do is have we have we're all over facebook instagram tiktok uh snap you know you name it twitter we're on all we're on all the different platforms as well and we have like 2.5 million followers within there as well so we're putting in content and we're trying to put in content that's relevant for them as well, because to your point, the more they see the clips and the more they know the names and the more they see everything else, the more excited they the I want to be like blank person. And that's what we really have tried to concentrate on.
0: All right. So as you as you think about and we start to wrap up the episode, as you think about your endeavors in into the NGB space and um, the opportunities that exist across the, the many different sports. What's one piece of advice you'd have for someone starting their career out? you know you obviously are, are at this point where we've had so many different experiences that have led up to this but to start out in the NGB world, what's one piece of
1: advice you'd have for somebody in the industry? I would say this piece of advice is within the NGB industry or anyone and maybe it's a little bit how my career went as you mentioned, I have a career that people would look at and say, how did you possibly end up? where you did it, you know, there. And just to give you a little background, I mean, I I started in media. Well, I started in finance, actually, at Deloitte. I then got into the finance department at CBS Sports. I was then on the launch team of Fox Sports. I was the fifth employee at the launch of Fox Sports in 1994 with the NFL on Fox. This is before cable on Fox. This is just literally the NFL going on Fox. I spent 12 years internationally um, working at within News Corp, Rupert Murdoch's company, which is the owner of Fox and then went over to a jo- run the joint venture, which was called ESPN Star Sports, which was ESPN and uh, News Corp uh, joint venture. I went from there, back to came back to the United States after going there with just my wife in 1994, uh, came back 12 years later with three children born in Hong Kong, and decided it was time to come home. Thought I was going back to Fox, where I'd been, and News Corp, where I'd been for all that period of time. Decided to go over to Comcast instead, because there was an opportunity for me to uh, take over a, comp- a network called Versus, which was used to be Outdoor Life Network or OLN, and they were converting it to a traditional sports network. And so the prior CEO was a outdoorsman, a hunter and a fisherman, and they wanted a sports specialist to come on in and do that. So that was a really interesting experience, first of all, because it, it's you're launching a new business while on the air. So it's, it's not like you can say, pause, we'll be back in nine months and, t- and see what comes in you're literally operating a business and migrating it from one product to another one completely demographic and product to another product at the same time. Went from there, then went to fanatics into the e-commerce space, which was a new one. And then ultimately ended up, uh, I I started my own company for a period of time and then ended up at volleyball. But the piece of advice I would give to anyone when you're coming to volleyball and especially if you're coming in young and new is a philosophy that I had just say yes. And what you'd say, what does that mean? It's, When somebody asks you, you know, can you do this for me? The answer is yes. Figure it out and just try to do it. No one's going to care if you ask questions about how to get there as well, but that's how you grow. It's it's not all about just say yes and how much more are you going to pay me right now? Because what happens is by doing more, learning more, you're going to make yourself more valuable in the long run. And I promise you the career advancement, the, the financial payback that comes with that as well will all come if you if you do that. The people who say no, you know, I'm just in this box this is all I'm going to do. That's probably where they're going to end up. They may progress within their area, but it's not going to be nearly the career advancement that they want to do that as well. The second thing is make sure you love what you do. And you don't have to love the sport. I actually do love volleyball right now, but you don't have to love the sport, but give it a, give it a go and if you don't love what you do, probably you should look for something else because life's too short just to keep going through something for the sake of it. And so those are probably two big pieces of advice I would give.
0: And when you say love what you do, it's purely the day in, day out process, not necessarily uh, awesome, awesome that you love volleyball now, right? But like not, that's that's not what you love, per se. You love the the leadership that like there's all these different components of the job. Like, how, how do you figure out what that is when you say love what you do?
1: Because it's a common phrase, oh. right? I, well, I love the team I've built. I love the people I work with, first of all. So when somebody wants to schedule a meeting with me, it's not like, a, oh gosh, now I have to have a call. It's, oh, awesome. I get to speak to so-and-so. There, there's things like that as well. So you want to work in an environment where it's people who you like working with. That's first and foremost. Secondly, if you're just absolutely bored out of your mind doing whatever your tasks are, raise your hand and say, can I do more? You know, and, and things like that as well. Make, be proactive in making yourself in, in making your life better. Right. And so people can just say, I'm so bored. Well, if you're so bored, it means you have so much extra time, raise your hand volunteer. We have people in our finance department, for example, who then now go and work at events because they love they're in a volleyball organization, but in the finance department, frankly, it's no different than if you worked in and you name you name the industry, right? If you worked at home Depot or USA volleyball in the finance department, most of it's the same, but what they do is they get to take those ledgers that they see and the line items that they see and make them come to life by actually going and working at the events. It's what I did actually when I first went to my first job in media was at CBS Sports. And when I went over to CBS Sports, I was came out of Deloitte. So I was a finance guy. And again, didn't know anything about the television industry or the sports industry, but I was in the finance department, right? So I could have done and sat in my office and just done the numbers. But instead what I did, I was living in New York City is I went every Sunday to the NFL Today Studios, which was the pregame show, is still the name of the pregame show on CBS for the NFL on Sundays. And I went there and just worked as a runner for free. I was already a salaried employee. I didn't get paid a dime, but I got to A, know the people on that side, build a relationship with them and ultimately understand what went on. So then when somebody said, can I get an extra camera? Because there's costs for everything, of course. And I want to get an extra camera for my event. I would be able to, with some sort of knowledge, just be able to see where do you want to put it? Why do you want to do it? Versus me looking at a piece of paper that says, oh, this is budgeted for six cameras. You want seventh camera? Oh, it says six. No, maybe I can understand and say, you know what? I've seen how you do this other thing. If you, you can probably afford that seventh camera, if you're willing to give up these three things, are you willing to do it? And they go, I'd much prefer the extra camera to that. Thank you. And so it's working with them. But if you don't know it and see it, you can't do that. So That happens at USA Volleyball, where you have people who are in the non-volleyball roles who do actually go and work at some of the other events just so they can understand the sport, and then they fall more in love with even what they're doing.
0: Such a great example. I I love just kind of the different perspective, being able to put yourself in others' shoes, right? And ultimately, that's what you were doing. So, um, all right, quick rapid fire. Are you ready? Sure. Okay, if you were to be on the volleyball court and play a position where where are you where
1: are you going to be there's only one choice for me i'm a short guy so it's Libro. we have one we have one position that is custom made for short people <laughs> so i could say middle blocker but then i i'm not sure that there would be anything blocked so let's just go with <laughs> libero for sure uh you seem very well traveled
0: uh if there's one country you haven't been to what would it be and where would you want to go
1: Probably Turkey, a eh? uh, Turkey, um, and the reason being is there's a lot of volleyball that goes on there. It seems like an interesting company, a country. Sorry, and I've never been, and I do tend to love Turkish types of food and Middle Eastern type of food. So I think it would be a fun experience.
0: If there was one app you could live without,
1: what would it be? I would say a lot, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's a lot of apps. I, I I try to limit how many of the apps I actually go to. So I don't know if I could come up with one that I could live without. Um, I mean, there's a couple that I live in all the time, you know. But yeah, that I could live without, I'm not sure. There's so many. Preferred method of
0: communication: phone, Zoom, text, call, email, Slack, Teams. There's so many nowadays. Which one?
1: So first and foremost would be in person if possible because I just like that interaction with yeah. people. But if not, it must have video. So whether it's there's so many of them and every, but I have pretty much every one of them loaded on my computer. We live in teams at USA Volleyball. We also, so that's the one I would probably say, because it's easiest for me to hit one click and be able to do it. But being able to see the person versus not be able to see the person makes the world of difference for me. So in-person video, if, if not in-person itself.
0: Love it. Uh, last one for you. If there was a place in which you could host a tournament that you haven't yet, where would it be?
1: And both indoor and beach. Okay. I'm going to put them in the same place. Same, not the same exact venue, of course, because one's going to be indoor, one's going to be beach, but New York City. we haven't done anything. So I would think having an event in the garden would be a lot of fun. And also having it an beach in central park, because they, we build the beaches. We don't, they don't have to have sand. We can bring in the sand. So I would think having that New York skyline around you in central park, I just got it. I can't resist myself, but tease what's going to be happening in Paris paris is where the next olympics are going to be next summer summer of 2024 the beach volleyball venue is at the base of the eiffel tower so there's going to be a beach volleyball court with a stadium and then the tower coming up right behind it it's going to be so iconic so if you would say any country in the world or any city in the world i want to put it it's happening next summer in 2024 but in the united states in new york city i'd put indoor in the garden beach in central park them at the same time so the fans could go between the two of them and we'd make we'd make that city into volleyball city usa incredible one something tells me you might be able to make that happen somehow some way so uh we'll, we'll look out of union. for that in the future a lot of, a lot of unions costs in new york city and and, and difficulty And the, the garden's not the least expensive place to rent out i'll have you know <laughs> but um you know it's a dream and my goal is to try and get it to
0: happen Love it. Jamie, really appreciate all the perspectives, insights, advice along the way, your journey, sharing the sport, uh, the growth of the sport, and uh, looking forward to con- continuing to see it grow. Thanks, for, Thank thanks for joining. Thanks thanks for having me. Really have fun. Thanks for tuning into today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe. And follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to get your fifteen percent off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO. L I F O. And stay tuned for next Monday's episode with a new guest and new content.